Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we are going to read chapters 29 to 30 and in the previous episode we read chapters 27 to 28. Now in the previous episode it was from Jason's perspective where Jason and Percy had to go against two monsters, Kimopolia and Polyboats. Now, one notable moment that happened in, pre- in the previous chapters was when Jason was having a conversation with Kimopalia about fame, and it was very, it was in- extremely interesting to point out how even monsters don't really think about, they don't really, they think more on the what they want versus how they feel, if that makes sense. If you look at a demigod, or if we look at Luke, the reason why he sided with Kronos and became his right-hand man was because he was fed up with how campers, and in general, how his father had treated him throughout the entirety of him being at Camp Half-Blood. And hence, that's his main motive behind turning into Kronos' right-hand man and his vessel. But if you look at monsters... At, at at the surface level, they may believe that they're going against the demigods because the gods have done something unfair to them or the monsters are giving something better. And that's the key word, better. They do all of this just so they can benefit from something in the end. So they end up living the better life that they had imagined in the end. So I think that that was very, very interesting to see with monsters and now we are going to switch perspectives to nico reading chapter 29 nico given a choice between death and the buford zippy mart nico would have had a tough time deciding at least he knew his way around the land of the dead plus the food was fresher i still don't get it coach hatch muttered as they roamed the center aisle they named a whole town after leo's table I think the town was here first, coach, Nico said. Huh. The coach picked up a box of powdered donuts. Maybe you're right. These look at least a hundred years old. I miss those Portuguese farturas. Nico couldn't think about Portugal while without his arms hurting. Across his biceps, the werewolf claw marks were still swollen and red. The store clerk had asked Nico if he'd picked a fight with a bobcat. They bought a first aid kit, a pad of paper, so Coach Hedge could write more paper airplane messages to his wife, some junk food and soda, since the banquet table in Reyna's new magic tent only provided healthy food and fresh water, and some miscellaneous camping supplies for Coach Hedge's useless but impressively complicated monster traps. Nico had been hoping to find some fresh clothes. Two days since they'd fled San Juan, he was tired of walking around in his tropical Isla del Encantorico shirt, especially since Coach Hedge had a matching one. Unfortunately, the Zippy Mart only carried t-shirts with Confederate flags and corny sayings like keep calm and follow the redneck. Nico decided he'd stick with parrots and palm trees. They walked back to the campsite down a two-lane road under the blazing sun. This part of South Carolina seemed to consist mostly of overgrown fields, punctuated by telephone poles and trees covered in kudzu vines. The town of Buford itself was a collection of portable metal sheds, six or seven, which was probably also the town's population. 
Nico wasn't exactly a sunshine person, but for once he welcomed the warmth. It made him feel more substantial, anchored to the mortal world. With every shadow jump, coming back got harder and harder. Even in broad daylight, his hand passed through solid objects. His belt and sword kept falling around his ankles for no apparent reason. Once, when he wasn't looking where he was going, he walked straight into it through a tree. Nico remembered something Jason Grace had told him in the place Palace of Nord- Notice. Maybe it's time you come out of the shadows. If only I could, he thought. For the first time in his life, he had begun to fear the dark, because he might melt into it permanently. Nico and Hedge had no trouble finding their way back to camp. The Athena Parthenos was the tallest landmark for miles around. In its new camouflage netting, it glittered silver like an extremely flashy 40-foot-tall ghost. Apparently, the Athena Parthenos had wanted them to visit a place with educational value because she'd landed right next to a historical marker that read Massacre of Buford on a gravel turnout at the intersection of nowhere and nothing. Raina's tent sat in a grove of trees about 30 yards back from the road. Nearby lay a rectangular cairn, hundreds of stones piled in the shape of an oversized grave with a granite obelisk for a headstone. Scattered around it were faded wreaths and crushed bouquets of plastic flowers, which made the place seem even sadder. Aram and Argentum were playing keep-away in the woods with one of the coach's handballs. Ever since getting repaired by the Amazons, the metal dogs had been frisky and full of energy, unlike their owner. Raina sat cross-legged at the entrance of the tent, staring at the memorial obelisk. She hadn't said much since they fled San Juan two days ago. They'd also encountered no monsters, which made Nico uneasy. They'd had no further word from them, hunters of, or the Amazons. They didn't know what had happened to Hilla or Talia or the giant Orion. Nico didn't like the hunters of Artemis. Tragedy followed them as surely as their dogs and birds of prey. His sister Bianca had died after joining the hunters. Then Talia Grace became their leader and started recruiting even more young women to their cause, which grated on Nico as if Bianca's death could be forgotten, as if she could be replaced. When Nico had woken up at Barranquina and found the hunter's note about kidnapping Reyna, he torn apart the courtyard in rage. He didn't want the hunter stealing another important person, person from him. Fortunately, he got Reyna back, but he didn't like how brooding she had become. Every time he tried to ask her about the incident on Calle San Jose, those ghosts on the balcony all staring at her, whispering accusations... Raina shut him down. Nico knew something about ghosts. Letting them get inside your head was dangerous. He wanted to help Raina, but since his own strategy was to deal with his problems alone, spurning anyone who tried to get close, he couldn't exactly criticize Raina for doing the same thing. She glanced up as they approached. I figured it out. What historical site is this? Edge asked. Good, because it's been driving me crazy. The Battle of Waxhaws. She said. Ah, right. Edge nodded sagely. That was a vicious little smackdown. Nico tried to sense any restless spirits in the area, but he felt nothing. Unusual for a battleground. Are you sure? In 1780, Reyna said. The American Revolution. Most of the colonial leaders were Greek demigods. The British generals were Roman demigods. Because England was like Rome back then, Nico guessed. A rising empire. Reyna picked up a crushed bouquet. I think I know why we landed here. It's my fault. 
Ah, come on. Head scoffed. The Buford Zippy Mart isn't anybody's fault. Those things just happen. Raina picked up at the faded plastic flowers. During the revolution, 400 Americans got overtaken here by British cavalry. The colonial troops tried to surrender, but the British were out for blood. They massacred the Americans even after they threw down their weapons. Only a few survived. Nico supposed he should have been shocked, but after traveling through the underworld, hearing so many stories of evil and death, a wartime massacre hardly seemed newsworthy. Reyna, how is that your fault? The British commander was... Banistry Tarleton. Hedge snorted. <laughs> I've heard of him. Crazy dude. They called him Benny the Butcher. Yes. Reyna took a shaky breath. He was a son of Bologna. Oh. Nico stared at the oversized grave. It still bothered him that he couldn't sense any spirits. Hundreds of soldiers massacred at this spot. That should have sent out some kind of death vibe. He sat next to Reyna and decided to take a risk. So you think we were drawn here because you have some sort of connection to the ghosts, like what happened in San Juan? For a ten count, she said nothing, turning the plastic bouquet in her hand. I don't want to talk about San Juan. You should. Nico felt like a stranger in his own body. Why was he encouraging Reyna to share? It wasn't his style or his business. Nevertheless, he kept talking. The main thing about ghosts, most of them have lost their voices. In Asphodel, millions of them wander around, around aimlessly, trying to remember who they were. Do you know why they end up like that? Because in life, they never took a stand one way or another. They never spoke out. So they were never heard. Your voice is your identity. If you don't use it, he said with a shrug, you're halfway to Asphodel already. Raina scowled. Is that your idea of a pep talk? Coach Hedge cleared his throat. throat) This is getting too psychological for me. I'm going to write some letters. He took his notepad and headed into the woods. The last day or so, he'd been writing a lot. Apparently not just to Melly. The coach wouldn't share details, but he hinted that he was calling in some favors to help with the quest. For all Nico knew, he was writing to Jackie Chan. Nico opened his shopping bag. He pulled out a box of Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies and offered one to Reyna. She wrinkled her nose. Those look like they went stale in dinosaur times. Maybe, but I've got a big appetite these days. Any kind of food tastes good. Except maybe pomegranate seeds. I'm done with those. Reyna picked out a cream pie and took a bite. The ghosts in San Juan, they were my ancestors. Nico waited. The breeze ruffled the camouflage netting over the Athena Parthenos. The Ramirez-Ariano family goes back a long way. Reyna continued. I don't know the whole story. My ancestors lived in Spain when it was a Roman province. My great-great-something-something-grandfather was a conquistador. He came over to Puerto Rico with Ponce de Leon. One of the ghosts on the balcony was wearing conquistador armor. Nico recalled that's him. So, is your whole family descended from Bellona? I thought you and Hilo were her daughters, not legacies. Too late, Nico realized he shouldn't have brought up Hilla. A look of despair passed over Reyna's face, though she managed to hide it quickly. We are her daughters, Reyna said. 
were the first actual children of Bellona and the Ramirez Ariana family. And Bellona has already always favored our clan. Millennia ago, she decreed that we would play pivotal roles in many battles. Like you're doing now, Nico said. Reyna brushed crumbs from her chin. Perhaps some of my ancestors have been heroes, some have been villains. You saw the ghosts with the gunshot wounds in the chest? Nico nodded. A pirate? The most famous in Puerto Rican history. He was known as the Pirate Confresi. But his family name was Ramirez de Ariano. Our house, the family villa, was built with money from treasure that he buried. For a moment, Nico felt like a little kid again. He was tempted to blurt out, That's so cool! Even before he got into mytho magic, he'd been obsessed with pirates. Probably that was one reason he'd been so smitten with Percy, the son of the sea god. And the other ghosts? He asked. Reyna took another bite of cream pie. The guy in the US, Navy uniform. He's my great-great-uncle from World War II, the first Latino submarine commander. You get the idea. A lot of warriors. Bellona was our patron goddess for generations. But she never had demigod children in your family until you. The goddess. She fell in love with my father, Julian. He was a soldier in Iraq. He was... Reyna's voice broke. She tossed aside the plastic bouquet of flowers. I can't do this. I can't talk about him. A cloud passed overhead, blanketing the woods in shadows. Nico didn't want to push Reyna. What right did he have? He set down his oatmeal cream pie and noticed that his fingertips were turning to smoke. The sunlight returned. His hands became solid again. But Nico's nerves jangled. He felt as if he'd been pulled back from the edge of a high balcony. Your voice is your identity, he told Reyna. If you don't use it, you're halfway to Asphodel already. He hated when his own advice applied to himself. My dad gave me a present once, Nico said. It was a zombie. Reyna stared at him. What? His name is Jules Albert. He's French. A... A French zombie? Hades isn't the greatest dad, but occasionally he has these want-to-know-my-son moments. I guess he thought the zombie was a peace offering. He said Jules Albert could be my chauffeur. The corner of Reyna's mouth twitched. A French zombie chauffeur? Nico realized how ridiculous it sounded. He never told anyone about Jules Albert, not even Hazel, but he kept talking. Hades had this idea that I should, you know, try to act like a modern teenager, make friends, get to know the 21st century. He vaguely understood that mortal parents drive their kids around a lot. He couldn't do that, so his solution was a zombie. To take you to the mall, Reyna said, or the drive through at In-N-Out Burger? I suppose. Nico's nerves began to settle. Because nothing helps you make friends faster than a rotting corpse with a French accent. Reyna laughed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't make fun. That's okay. Point is, I don't like talking about my dad either, but sometimes, he said, looking her in the eyes, you have to. Reyna's expression turned serious. I never knew my father in his better days, 
Hitler said he used to be gentler when she was very small before I was born. He was a good soldier, fearless, disciplined, cool under fire. He was handsome. He could be very charming. But Lona blessed him, as she had with many, so many of my ancestors. But that wasn't enough for my dad. He wanted her for his wife. Over in the woods, Coach Hedge muttered to himself as he wrote. Three paper airplanes were already spiraling upward in the breeze, heading to God's new wear. My father dedicated himself completely to Bologna. Brenna continued. It's one thing to respect the power of war, it's another thing to fall in love with it. I don't know how he did it, but he managed to win Bologna's heart. My sister was born just before he went to Iraq for his last tour of duty. He was honorably discharged, came home a hero. If... If he'd been able to adjust to civilian life, everything might have been all right. But he couldn't, Nico guessed. Marina shook her head. Shortly after he got back, he had one last encounter with the goddess. That's the um, reason I was born. Bologna gave him a glimpse of the future. She explained why our family was so important to her. She said the legacy of her own would never fail as long as one of our bloodline remained, fighting to defend our homeland. Those words, uh, I think she meant them to be reassuring, but my father became fixated on them. War can be hard to get over, Nico said, remembering Pietro, one of his neighbors from his childhood in Italy. Pietro had come back from Mussolini's African campaign in one piece, but after shelling Ethiopian civilians with mustard gas, his mind was never the same. Despite the heat, Reina drew her cloak around her. Part of the problem was post-traumatic stress. He couldn't stop thinking about the war. And then there was the constant pain. A roadside bomb had led shrapnel in his shoulder and chest. But it was more than that. Over the years, as I was growing up, he... He changed. Nico didn't respond. He never had anyone talk to him this openly before, except maybe for Hazel. He felt like he was watching a flock of birds settled on a field. One loud sound might startle them away. He became paranoid, Reina said. He thought Bologna's words were a warning that our bloodline would be exterminated and the legacy of Rome would fail. He saw enemies everywhere. He collected weapons. He turned our house into a fortress. At night, he would lock Hilla and me in our rooms. If we sneaked out, he would yell at us and throw furniture and, well, he terrified us. At times, he even thought we were the enemies. He became convinced we were spying on him, trying to undermine him. Then, the ghosts started appearing. I guess they'd always been there, but they picked up on my father's agitation and began to manifest. They whispered to him, beating his suspicions. Finally, one day... I can't tell you for sure when. I realized he had ceased to be my father. He had become one of the ghosts. A cold tide rose in Nico's chest. A mania, he speculated. I've seen him before. A human with withers away until he's not human anymore. Only his worst qualities remain. His insanity. It was clear from Reyna's expression that his explanation wasn't helping. Whatever he was, Rana said, he became impossible to live with. Hilla and I escaped the house as often as we could, but eventually we'd come back. 
and face his rage. We didn't know what else to do. He was our only family. The last time we returned, he he was so angry. He was literally glowing. He couldn't physically touch things anymore, but he could move them. Like a poltergeist, I guess. He tore floor tiles. He ripped up the sofa. Finally, he tossed a chair and it hit Hilla. She collapsed. She was only knocked unconscious, but I thought she was dead. She'd spent so many years protecting me, I just lost it. I grabbed the nearest weapon I could find. A family heirloom, the pirate Cofresi's saber. Saber. I... I didn't know it was imperial gold. I ran at my father's spirit and... You vaporized him, Nico guessed. Reyna's eyes brimmed with tears. I... I killed my own father. No, Reyna, no. That wasn't him. That was a ghost. Even worse, a mania. You were protecting your sister. She twisted the silver ring on her finger. You don't understand. Patricide is the worst crime a Roman can commit. It's unforgivable. You didn't kill your father. The man was already dead. Nico insisted. You dispelled the ghost. It doesn't matter. Reyna sobbed. If word of this got out and kept Jupiter, you'd be executed, said a new voice. At the edge of the woods stood a Roman legionnaire in full armor holding a pilum. A mop of brown hair hung in his eyes. His nose had obviously been broken at least once, which made his smile look even more sinister. Thank you for your forum, for your confession, former praetor. You've made my job much easier. And that's the end of chapter 29. Wow. That was definitely one of the most interesting chapters I think we've had in a while. I mean, so many things were going on and so many things to look at. It's just, I think that this this is easily one of the most crucial chapters in this entire book. As I've always said, character development and character analysis is all is always, I believe, one of the most important things that, that can happen in a book. And when there's so many characters, you know, sometimes even I wonder how does how does Rick do it? How does how does he do it? I mean, this chapter throughout the course of when we've been introduced to Nick and Reyna, we have always thought of them to be closed off keeping their struggles within them, suffering in silence, and that they don't want anybody else to know their struggles. Because they... They inhibit one of the most powerful symbols known to both Greek and Roman history. Nico is a son of the big three. That itself kind of puts a little... It, it puts pressure on a kid like Nico to be able to live up to the expectations and live up to being a son of Hades for everybody to understand why exactly he is a son of Hades and then when you examine Reyna Reyna is a praetor one of the a praetor of one of the biggest camps for demigods so when you and there, then there's that pressure as well 
So when you see these two pressures, these two demigods have been holding all of this within them for so long. And and then you see them just spill it out there because they couldn't they didn't want to keep it in longer. They finally let it out and they finally were getting to this point where they didn't want to suffer in silence anymore. They wanted to be able to voice out what they the pain that they've been holding in for the past years. I think that although we were unfortunately interrupted by what it seems like potentially one of Octavian's henchmen, we'll have to see how exactly they deal with this person and whether they'll get there's more of them coming right now. But this definitely, I mean, just the way they were able to just jump over that hurdle and finally be able to accept that they're allowed to suffer just as much as everybody else does and they're allowed to voice their suffering and be able to suffer out loud instead of holding it all in. This is this is probably one of the greatest developments I've seen. This is this is one of those heart to hearts that I truly think makes up a book. So after the break, we'll continue to see where exactly this will take Nico, Coach Hedge, and Reyna as they fight against Octavian and his henchmen, or potentially only his henchmen. So we'll have to see after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back from the break, and now we're going to read Chapter 30, Nico. Coach Hedge shows that moment to burst into the clearing, waving a paper airplane and yell, Good news, everyone! He froze when he saw the Roman. Oh, never mind. He quickly crumpled the airplane and ate it. Reyna and Nico got to their feet. Aram and Argentum scampered to Reyna's side and growled at the intruder. How this guy had gotten so close with none of them noticing... Nico didn't understand. Bryce Lawrence, Reyna said. Octavian's newest attack dog. The Roman inclined his head. His eyes were green, but not sea green like Percy's. More like pond scum green. The ogre has many attack dogs, Bryce said. I'm just the lucky one who found you. Your greatest friend here. He pointed his chin at Nico. He was easy to track. He stinks of the underworld. Nico unsheathed his sword. 
You know the underworld? Would you like me to arrange a visit? Bryce laughed. His front teeth were two different shades of yellow. <laughs> Do you think you can frighten me? I'm a descendant of Orcus, the god of broken vows and eternal punishment. I've heard the screams in the fields of punishment firsthand. They're music to my ears. Soon I'll be adding one more damned soul to the course. He grinned at Reyna. Patricide, eh? Octavian will love this news. You are under arrest for multiple violations of Roman law. You being here is against, is against Roman law, Reyna said. Romans don't quest alone. A mission has to be led by someone of centurion rank or higher. You're in probatio. And even giving you that rank was a mistake. You have no right to arrest me. Bryce shrugged. In times of war, some rules have to be flexible. But don't worry. Once I bring you in for trial, I'll be rewarded with full membership in the Legion. I imagine I'll be promoted to Centurion, too. Doubtless, there'll be, va there'll, there'll be vacancies after the coming battle. Some officers won't survive, especially if their loyalties aren't in the right place. Coach Hedge hefted his bat. Well, I don't know if this is the proper Roman etiquette, but can I bash this kid now? A fawn, Bryce said. Interesting. I heard the Greeks actually trusted their goat men. Hedge bleated. Bruh! I'm a satyr, and you can't try. You can trust I'm going to put this bat upside your head, you little punk. The coach advanced, but as soon as his foot touched the cairn, the stones rumbled like they were coming to a boil. Out of the gray sight, skeletal warriors erupted, spartoi in tattered remains of British redcoat red uniforms. Hedge scrambled away, but the first two skeletons grabbed his arms and lifted him off the ground. The coach dropped his bat and kicked his hooves. Let me go, you stupid boneheads! He bellowed. Nico watched, paralyzed, as the grave spewed forth more dead British shoulders. soldiers. Five, ten, twenty, multiplying so quickly that Reyna and her metal dogs were surrounded by before Nico even thought to raise his sword. How could he have not sent so many dead so close at hand. I forgot to mention, Bryce said. I'm actually not alone on this quest. As you can see, I have backup. These redcoats promised quarter to the colonials. Then they butchered them. Personally, I like a good massacre, but because they broke their oaths, their spirits were damned. And they are perpetually under the power of Orcus, which means they're also under my control. He pointed to Reyna. Seize the girl! The Spartoys surged forward. Arm and Argentum took down the first few. But they were quickly wrestled to the ground. Skeletal hands clamped over their muzzles. The redcoats grabbed Reyna's arms for undead creatures. They were surprisingly quick. Finally, Nico came to his senses. He slashed the Spartoy, but his sword passed harmlessly through them. He exerted his will, ordering the skeletons to dissolve. They acted as if he didn't exist. What's wrong, son of Hades? Bryce's voice was filled with fake sympathy. Losing your grip? Nico tried to push his way through the skeletons. They were too many. Bryce, Reyna, and Coach Hedge might as well have been behind a metal wall. Nico, get out of here, Reyna said. Get to the statue and leave. Yes, off you go, Bryce agreed. Of course you realize that your next shadow jump will be your last. You know you don't have the strength to survive another, but by all means, take the Athena Barthenos. Nico glanced down. He still held his Stygian sword, but his hands were dark and transparent like smoky glass. Even in the direct sunlight, he was dissolving. St 
Stop this, he said. Oh, I'm not doing a thing, Bryce said. But I'm curious to see what will happen. If you take the statue, you'll disappear with it forever. Right into oblivion. If you don't take it, well, I have orders to bring in Reyna in alive to stand trial for treason. I have no orders to bring you in alive or the fawn. Sadar! The coach yelled. He kicked a skeleton in his bony crotch, which seemed to hurt. Hedge more, which seemed to hurt Hedge more than the red coat. Ow! Stupid British dead guys! Bryce lowered his javelin and poked the coach in the belly. I wonder what this one's pain tolerance would be. I've experimented on all kinds of animals. I've even killed my own centurion once. I've never tried a fawn. Excuse me, a satyr. You reincarnate, don't you? How much pain can you take before you turn into a patch of daisies? Nico's anger turned as cold and dark as his blade. He'd been morphed into a few plants himself, and he didn't appreciate it. He hated people like Bryce Lawrence, who inflicted pain just for fun. Leave him alone, Nico warned. Bryce raised an eyebrow. Huh, or what? By all means, try something, underworldy Nico. I'd love to see it. I have a feeling anything major will make you fade out permanently. Go ahead. Rana struggled. Bryce, forget about them. If you want me as your prisoner, fine. I'll go willingly and face Octavian's stupid trial. A fine offer. Bryce turned his javelin, letting the tip hover a few inches from Reyna's eyes. You really don't know what Octavian has planned, do you? He's been busy pulling in favors, spending the legion's money. Reyna clenched her fists. Octavian has no right. He has the right of power, Bryce said. You forfeited your authority when you ran off to the ancient lands. On August 1st, your Greek friends at Camp Half-Blood will find out what a powerful enemy Octavian is. I've seen the designs for his machines. Even I'm impressed. Nico's bones felt like they were changing into helium, the way they'd felt when the god Favonius turned him into a breeze. Then he locked eyes with Reyna. Her strength surged through him, a wave of courage and resilience that made him feel substantial again, anchored to the mortal world. Even surrounded by the dead and facing execution, Reyna Ramirez Ariano had a huge reservoir of bravery to share. Nico, she said, do what you need to do. I've got your back. Bryce chuckled, clearly enjoying himself. Oh, Reyna, you've got his back? It's going to be so fun dragging you before a tribunal, forcing you to confess that you killed your father. I hope they'll execute you in the ancient way, sewn into a sack with a rabid dog and thrown into a river. I've always wanted to see that. I can't wait until your little secret comes out. Until your little secret comes out. Bryce flicked the point of his pylum across Reyna's face, lean, leaving a line of blood, and Nico's rage exploded. And that's the end of chapter 30. That's, that was, that's going to be a very interesting chapter to read next week. Just to see what exactly happened. I can't wait. I think that this, these two chapters, especially the first, chapter 29, I think that that really set yet another relationship to be created here the friendship the cro- the cl- the close yet short bounding relationship that Nico and Reina had 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 
created throughout the first few just throughout just a conversation is i think remarkable i think the fact that reina and nico had just been able to open up and the fact that nico points out that he hadn't opened up even this much to hazel his own sister is just it really we're seeing a different side of reina and nico and in that it becomes a manifestation of a new relationship and we're finally we're finally seeing them being able to accept themselves and be able to become these versions of themselves where they're not afraid of facing their past their past has always haunted them their past has always scarred them their past had always made them feel that there was a deep gash in their heart that they were never able to fix ever again but them talking to each other and ex- and just talking about their past to each other was a way of embracing that and i think that that was such an important moment in this chapter and in this episode overall because we were able to see a struggle that a lot of demigods have and that's that these demigods have way different struggles when comparing each one to different people you know percy first started out with fighting a minotaur as soon as he got to camp and seeing his mo- her his mom being convinced that his mom was gone and then you have jason who went through you know this entire you know relationship with his mother and i think that a demigod and their each individual story and being able to embrace that story of theirs is what makes them stronger in the end and i think that this is going to be extremely crucial when they go against gaia because gaia is really good at messing with people's heads chronos did that as well but gaia Gaia knows how to do it well. If I'm not wrong, Gaia is the mother of Kronos, so she knows this is where Kronos got all of his skills from. So I think that these imp- crucial developments are what makes a demigod stronger to battle against. So yes, that ends the uh that ends the our reading uh of the chapters for today and the analysis and we will now move on to the Q&A session a quick quick couple of things before we go into the Q&A session um the first one is if i miss your name or if i miss your question uh do please let me know and i will try my best to get you in the next episode and a second thing is sometimes i may not answer the question because i Uh don't feel comfortable answering it at the moment but however in the future I do hope that I will be able to answer it sometime. So yes, let's go ahead and start out with the Q&A session. Well, the shoutouts we have Dapro, Nelly, and Snuff. Happy birthday, by the way. Uh for the now moving on to the questions, we have our first one is favorite god or goddess. You know, I would probably say it's going to be Dionysus and <clears throat> the reason why is because I actually I was able to see the rest of the episodes of the Percy Jackson show and it really I forgot about how funny Mr. D really is. I mean just just how he, how you know 
just seeing him being uh, seeing him being acted out <clears throat> and just remembering it in when I was first reading the book it was I think that he might be one of my new favorite gods uh, I think that his sense of humor is just amazing next question is do you like baguettes now here's the interesting part I've never had a baguette but I have had a sourdough bread and that is really really good um sourdough bread on a sandwich really good uh next question is do people you know personally listen to this um yeah there are a couple of people um but yeah there's not much to that (laughs) i guess next question is have you ever laughed so hard on a joke in the books that you had to re-record an episode I wouldn't say that hasn't happened yet, but I would say that there are times where I'm just laughing in my head or I'm very close to smiling, um, but I try myself to keep going forward because we have to keep the show going. Uh, next question is chocolate milk or strawberry milk? Hmm. I'd probably have to say chocolate milk. I'm a chocolate milk person. Uh, next question is, have you seen the Percy Jackson movie and what are your thoughts on them? I have not seen the Percy Jackson movies because of all the reviews I had heard that I actually did not, I didn't know if I wanted to watch them after hearing the inaccuracy the movies had to the books. But I had seen some clips and I could definitely agree that I think I saw this point made uh, while I was looking at the clips that it would have been great as a movie on its own. But when you compare it to the books, that's where it loses its the interest or the quality because when you have a movie adaptation of a book you know you try your best to really highlight the key points the points that make the plot for what it is and what makes the book so notable and I think that the movie missed a lot of those and that's why it received so many complaints and yeah I think that I probably will be shifting my focus more onto the TV series, but, um, yeah, uh, throughout this, uh, throughout the rest of this podcast, I'll, I'll be, I'll be keeping up with giving my updates and thoughts on the series, uh, hopefully, so, yes, but yes, that also concludes our Q&A session, I hope you enjoyed that, and, uh, next week we will continue this by reading chapter 31 to 32, I believe from Nico's perspective, So until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom. And for everyone else, and for all of you guys, Happy New Year.